Hello, my podcast friends. This is Dr. Harlan Betts, and I'm delighted to welcome you to Wisdom from Above. Our goal on these Wisdom from Above podcasts is to go beyond the reasoning of man to the revelation of God. We're in a series entitled Distinctions Worth Knowing. Today's topic is the third in a mini-series on discipleship. Today we will discover the distinctive marks of a disciple. But first, uh, let me lay a foundation for this discussion. Eternal life is a free gift, requiring nothing of ourselves. True discipleship is very costly, requiring all of ourselves. You see, eternal life is a possession that comes by faith alone. While true discipleship is a process that requires total commitment. Isaac Watts was right on target when he wrote these words. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. You see, coming to Christ for eternal life is a once-for-a-lifetime free gift. Following after Christ in discipleship is a daily, moment-by-moment presentation. So, we ask, what is Jesus looking for in a true disciple? What are the marks of a true disciple? Well, I believe uh, there are seven marks of discipleship clearly laid out in the scriptures. Number one, a true disciple loves Jesus Christ above all. Luke 14, 26 says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. We talked about this a little bit in an earlier episode. This passage is not encouraging or requiring ill will or animosity towards our relatives. Just the opposite is taught in Scripture. We're taught to love our father and mother, our wife and children, our brothers and sisters. You see, this is a figure of speech known as a Hebraism. The Bible teaches us to love everyone, but in this passage, Jesus is indicating that our love for him should be greater in degree and greater in priority than all other loves. We're to love Jesus Christ with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, and with all our mind. We're to love Him more than we love anyone else. Actually, the most difficult clause in this passage is the last phrase. Yes, and His own life also. We're to love Jesus more than we love ourselves. Self-love is one of the greatest hindrances to discipleship. So, mark number one, we need to love Jesus Christ above all. Number two, a true disciple serves Jesus Christ as Lord. Matthew sixteen twenty four. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. There are three Requirements found in this passage. 
We'll take them one at a time. So mark number two of discipleship is that a true disciple serves Jesus Christ as Lord. He serves him. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. This passage is encouraging us to allow our will to be swallowed up by the will of God. It it means to take self off the throne of our life and let Jesus Christ sit on the throne of our life. To deny ourselves the opportunity to be the Lord of our life and allow Jesus Christ to be the Lord of our life. So what it means when it says to deny ourselves, it means to submit fully to Jesus' leadership, to submit fully to Jesus' commands, to submit fully to Jesus' will, and to serve him, to allow him be the Lord of our life. Not coming to simply, not simply coming to him in faith, trusting in him as our Savior, but following after him and allowing him to be our Lord. The third mark of discipleship. A true discipleship chooses Jesus Christ over the world. As Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. The cross is not necessarily a reference to physical suffering. The cross is a pathway of life. The cross of Jesus was simply the crowning climax of a life that was wholly committed to God's will and God's way, even if it meant suffering and shame. Now, you can avoid taking up your cross by conforming to the world. You can love the world and its pleasures and its passions and its position and its possessions. Or you can love Jesus Christ and you can follow him as your Lord. You can take up your cross by taking the pathway of transformation. You can avoid the cross by taking a pathway of confirmation, conforming to the world. So we're either going to conform to the world as believers, or we're going to take up our cross and conform to Christ. We'll take a pathway of transformation. We will follow the word instead of the world. And we'll we'll accept whatever comes our way as we choose Jesus Christ over the world. That's what Moses chose to follow God, and he chose that over the riches of the world. That's what we're being encouraged to do. Number four, the fourth mark of a discipleship, a true disciple follows Jesus in his walk. Going back again to Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, let Jesus Christ be the Lord of your life, take up his cross, do whatever God is calling you to do, even if it means difficulty or heartache or suffering or shame, that you want to be conformed to Christ rather than conformed to the world, that you want to be transformed by Christ and follow the word instead of the world. And then thirdly, it says, and follow me. A true disciple follows Jesus Christ in his walk. 
In order to understand what this means, we need to look at the life of Christ. If we're going to follow him, we have to look at what he did. What characterized the life of our Lord Jesus Christ? Now, I'd like to suggest three outstanding characteristics of Jesus' life. Number one was trusting the Father. You might remember when facing the most difficult day of his life, Jesus Christ was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying. And he was saying, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But he didn't stop there, did he? He went on to say, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He trusted the Father. The second outstanding characteristic of Jesus Christ is that he yielded to the Spirit. We read in Matthew 4.1 that the Spirit led him into the wilderness and he yielded to the Spirit. He knew that it was going to be a very difficult time where he would be attacked by Satan and tempted, but he yielded to the Spirit. And we're, we're, we're to be yielded to the Spirit. The third characteristic of Jesus' life is that he was obeying the Word. We read in John 17, verse 4, that Jesus Christ was obedient, obedient to the Father and to his Word. So these three characteristics, if we're going to follow Jesus, we need to be trusting the Father. We need to walk by faith, not by sight. We need to be yielding to the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. And we need to be obeying the Word, keeping the Word, responsive to the Word. Now, if in order to obey the Word, we need to know what the Word is saying. So that means we need to be reading it. We need to be studying it. We need to come to understand it so that we can obey it. So a true disciple followed Jesus Christ in his walk. The fifth mark of a disciple is that a true disciple abides in the word. In John 8.31, Jesus said to those who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. If you abide in my word. This passage stresses the importance of continuance in the word of God. You need to abide. To abide means to to settle down in, to be at home in. A lot of times you talk about where a person abides. It's their home. Or we talk about their abode. It's their home. Well, our home, we should be at home in the Word. We should continue in the Word. We should keep the Word. Uh, it, it's fairly easy to start well, but it's an entirely different thing to finish well. And this passage just focuses on continuing in the Word of God. And we're talking about the Scripture here. Continuing in the Scripture, the Bible, the Holy Bible, to the point where you're at home 
in the Word of God. We must be reading the Word of God. We must be studying the Word of God. We must be meditating on the Word of God. We must be obeying the Word of God. And we must do these things regularly, consistently, daily, personally. I love the Psalm 1-1 where it talks about the psalmist meditates on the Word of God day and night. So a true disciple abides in word. The sixth mark of discipleship. A true disciple loves other believers. In the upper room, the night before Jesus would be betrayed and denied and falsely tried and falsely accused and crucified, he said this to his disciples, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. This passage reminds us that a true disciple loves other believers. A true disciple wants what is best for other believers. Jesus loves us. And and think about how he loved us. He loved us realistically. He was under no illusions of what we were. He didn't think we were some kind of high and mighty, holy, otherly, otherworldly people. He knew that we were down-to-earth, rugged, raw, sinful individuals. And yet he loved us. He loved us realistic. He loved us personally, each one of us. He loves each one of us personally. He loved us sacrificially. He was willing to lay down his life for us. And this passage says that we should love others as he has loved us. To, to love someone is to want the very best for them. And so a true disciple wants what is best for other believers. A true disciple wants other believers to be growing. A true disciple wants other believers to be maturing. A true disciple wants other believers to be praying. A true disciple wants other believers to be serving. A true disciple wants other believers to be sacrificing and witnessing and modeling and loving. And loving how? Loving the way Christ loved us. Loving realistically and personally and sacrificially. So a true disciple loves other believers. And then number seven, the seventh mark of a disciple, a true disciple bears much fruit. In John fifteen eight. Jesus says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so you will be my disciples. This final passage reminds us of the importance of bearing fruit. A true disciple not only bears the fruit of love, a true disciple should also bear the fruit of joy. A true disciple should manifest the fruit of peace. A true disciple should be long-suffering and patient. A true disciple should be characterized by gentleness and tender-hearted kindness. A true disciple should be self-controlled, not bitter or angry or slanderous. A true disciple should be characterized by a solid faith in God and a firm faith in His Word. So this is our goal. In Luke 6.40 it says, A disciple when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Our goal is to be like our teacher, Jesus Christ. Becoming like Jesus Christ in our character. Becoming like Jesus Christ in our conduct. That is our goal as a disciple. 
to be a fully devoted follower of Christ is to be a person who is becoming fully like Christ. Paul says, I press toward the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I know I haven't attained it. I won't attain it, but I press toward that. In Colossians 1, it talks about Paul's ministry and his desire to present every person complete in Christ, every person mature in Christ. This is our goal, becoming like Christ. And what's the method? Well, according to 1 Thessalonians 2.8, Paul didn't just share the gospel. He shared his own life as well. And according to Mark 3.13-14, Jesus didn't just call the disciples to go out and be witnesses. He called them to be with him. And after being with him, he sent them out. Jesus chose 12 men and he spent time with them. Jesus poured his life into them. Jesus modeled what he taught. He walked the walk and he talked the talk. And it was a life-on-life impact. That's what discipleship is all about. It's a life-on-life impact. Let me illustrate. Mr. Holland's Opus is a movie about a frustrated composer in Portland, Oregon, who takes a job as a high school band teacher in the 1960s. Diverted from his lifelong goal of achieving critical fame as a classical musician, Glenn Holland, played by Richard Dreyfus, believes that his school job is only temporary. At first, he maintains his determination to write an opus by composing at his piano, after putting in a full day with his students. But as family demands increase, including his discovery that his infant son is deaf, and the pressures of his job multiply, Mr. Holland realizes that his dream of leaving a lasting legacy is merely a dream. At the end of the movie, we find an aged Mr. Holland fighting in vain to keep his job. The board has decided to reduce the operating budget by cutting the music and drama department. No longer a reluctant band teacher, Mr. Holland believes in what he does and passionately defends the role of the arts in public education. What began as a career detour became a 35-year mission, pouring his heart into the lives of young people. Mr. Holland returned to his classroom to retrieve his belongings a few days after school was let out for the summer vacation. He's taught his final class. With regret and sorrow, he fills his box with artifacts that represent the tools of his trade and memories of many meaningful classes. His wife and son arrive to give him a hand. As they leave the room and walk down the hall, Mr. Holland hears some noise in the auditorium. Because school is out, he opens the door to see what the commotion is all about. To his amazement, he sees a capacity audience of former students and teaching colleagues and a banner that reads, Goodbye, Mr. Holland. Those in attendance are greeting Mr. Holland with a standing ovation. While a band, consisting of past and present members, plays songs they had learned at his hand. His wife, who was in on the surprise reception, approaches the podium and makes a few remarks until the master of ceremonies, the governor of Oregon, arrives. The governor is none other than a student Mr. Holland helped to believe in herself his first year of teaching. As she addresses the room full of well-wishers, she speaks for the hundreds in the auditorium. 
and she says, Mr. Holland had a profound influence in my life, on a lot of lives, I know. And yet, I get the feeling that he considers a great part of his life misspent. Rumor has it he was always working on his this symphony of his, and this was going to make him famous and rich, probably both. But Mr. Holland isn't rich, and he isn't famous, at least not outside of our little town, so it might be easy for him to think he himself a failure, but he'd be wrong, because I think he's achieved a success beyond riches and fame. Looking at her former teacher, the governor gestures with a sweeping hand and continues, Look around you. There is not a life in this room that you have not touched, and each one of us is a better person because of you. We are your symphony, Mr. Holland. We are the melodies and the notes of your opus. We are the music of your life. Oh, wow, what, what a great picture of discipleship. A life-on-life impact. Discipleship is spending time together with other believers, with the living word, Jesus Christ, and in the written word, the Holy Bible. Life on life impact, modeling Christ-likeness, mentoring others, and making a difference. And so a decision has to be made. Are you going to be involved in the discipleship process? And if you are, you have to, first of all, be a disciple yourself. We've discovered seven marks of a truly committed disciple. A true disciple loves Jesus Christ above all. A true disciple serves Jesus Christ as Lord. A true disciple chooses Jesus Christ over the world. A true disciple follows Jesus Christ in his walk. A true disciple abides in the word. A true disciple loves other believers. And a true disciple bears much fruit. Now certainly, as we look deep within our own hearts, we can see that we all fall short in some of these areas. Confessing our past failure, let's encourage one another to accept the claims of Christ in our lives and commit ourselves to becoming true disciples. Do you remember that uh, in the Old Testament, when a servant earned his freedom, he could choose that in, instead of being set free, he would rather stay with his master and serve his master for the rest of his life. And if that was his choice, the master would take the servant to a door, he would put an awl up to his ear, and he would punch a hole in his ear with that awl. This, uh, this is found in Exodus 21. But from that moment on, from the moment that he had that hole punched in his ear, Everyone who saw that servant with a hole in his ear knew that that servant was serving not because he had to, but because he wanted to. He was serving not out of duty, but out of devotion. He was not a servant in bondage. He was a servant in love. In response to that passage of Scripture, H.G.C. Moole, with a deep desire to be a fully devoted disciple of Jesus, wrote this fitting verse. 
My master, lead me to thy door. Pierce this now willing ear once more. Thy bonds are freedom. Let me stay with thee to toil, endure, and obey. I hope that's your desire, to be a fully devoted follower of Christ, a true disciple. You know, I I am so grateful that you're carving out the time to listen to wisdom from above. I'm thrilled that you're joining me in this passionate quest for truth. You may be wondering how you can help Wisdom from Above. First, give the podcast a five-star rating. Second, share this podcast with your family and friends on Facebook and Instagram and in text. Encourage others to listen to Wisdom from Above. Third, you can write a brief positive review. And and if you do want to, to help out financially, since we've chosen to be cost-free and ad-free, you can do so on my ministry website, which is teachingtotransform.org. You can email me at harlanbetts at icloud.com. You can message me on my Facebook page, Wisdom from Above with Dr. Harlan Betts. Or you can leave a comment on the YouTube version of this podcast. So again, this is Dr. Harlan Betts, wishing you a great week and God's blessings.